0: Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Psalm, the 40th chapter. This morning, I'm going to begin a series that I've entitled Impact, and this series will be about uh, four to six lessons long. I haven't quite decided how long I want to stretch it out yet, but I'll be working on that. Um, But we are going to take a look at how God, the different ways that God impacts uh, us individually As well as the world around us. Inspiration for this set of lessons came uh, from a recent vacation that we were in downtown New York City. And we had uh, we had one day to go see some sites. And so we decided we would drive in from upstate New York to the city. And so we parked down on the Hudson River, a beautiful place to park right next to the Intrepid aircraft carrier and one of my children had recently visited New York, and so he assured us that he knew where he was going. And we were silly enough to listen. And he kept saying, uh, the Statue of Liberty is just one more block, just just one more block. And so we got to about the 15th, one more block. And I had trashed the shirt, the brand new shirt that I had had worn to look nice for the city and I, it was hot and it was, it was just terrible. And my legs already hurt and I had been there for 45 minutes. So I saved the family and I bought subway tickets. So we're going to get on the subway. We're going to get on the train. And of course, when I first sat down on the subway to make sure that I had pure and kind thoughts, I began to think about God instead of killing that son. And to keep myself in the right frame of mind. And I got to looking around the train. I got to thinking... God must have an awesome testimony because every person on this train, and this was the most diverse crowd I had been in in a long time, to think that God was at work in every person. That in some way, shape or form, God in that moment was touching the life of every person on that train. And so you look and you think you begin to think to yourself of what? those people need and how God is interacting in their life. Can you imagine what the end of God's day is like when He sits down and looks at the aftermath? And yet the Bible teaches us even in the the beginning Genesis, He looks back from everything and says it's good. And so I thought to myself, you know, I I want to put some lessons together that talks about the impact that God has on the world. Again, turn with me to that psalm in Psalm 40 and verse five, because we'll see this slide at the beginning of each of these lessons and hopefully we'll be able to hear it. But listen to what the scripture says. It says, many, Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you've planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare what a what a prayer that David offers in this psalm. You know the next few weeks I've prepared this series and inspirations also come from a friend of mine in Alabama his name's Buddy Bell and he taught some lessons called Mark. And what they did is they spent 16 weeks looking at the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark and talked about how that gospel had affected the church. So we're going to kind of bring these concepts together and use them as inspiration. And I hope the Holy Spirit will join in this process with me and we'll be able to bring something to you that's helpful and not just your identifying how God has impacted you, but how we can share with others how God has impacted us and the church and how he can impact the world. I'd like for you, if you would, now to turn to Acts, the fourth chapter, and this is going to be the text for our lesson today, Acts chapter four. I'm going to start reading in verse one and read through twelve. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number is about five thousand and the number grew to about five thousand. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power, what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being asked to account for today the act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth whom you crucify, that this man stands before you healed Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You know, we see here from from two people like Peter and John, and we kind of know their history. We know what kind of men they were, and yet here in Acts, we see a church that's exploding, don't we? You know, 5,000 in a day is a pretty good day of evangelism for a couple of fellas. Wouldn't we love to have that kind of evangelistic day today in the church where someone would stand before a group of those seeking God and proclaim the gospel and even to be able to get in their grill a little bit and say, Look, you've got a problem that you've caused, and here's the solution. But here's what I want to tell you today about explosive churches, churches that grow in an an explosive nature. They are intentional. They set out with a purpose in sharing the gospel and they intentionally go before those who are lost, those who need to know Jesus. And they intentionally proclaim Jesus's name without hindrance, without worry, without fear. When we get to the point, as God's people, that that's the way we approach it, we become explosive in evangelistic nature. You know, we were part of a a movement called the Restoration Movement. And that Restoration Movement began in the 1800s. And essentially, it was some men that looked at church and they saw how mankind had put its hands all over church in its nature. They were looking at how church was being done and they were looking at how man had added things to the process. And they said, you know what? We want to restore the church back to what the church is, what truly was God's intent for his people. And that was the basis for the restoration movement. But one of the issues that they tripped on was simply this. And this is what I want us to hear this morning. This is at the root of our message They went back and looked at the church in Acts and they began to try to emulate it and they began to emulate it based on doctrine that preceded Acts. When in reality, the church we see here in Acts, the church that's established by Peter and the others, is this. It is the effect of something that impacted it. Okay, so we know in life we know cause. In effect, well, here's the cause that generated the effect. Jesus was the cause that generated the effect that we see that is the church in the book of Acts. The church that we see in Acts is the product of men who spent time with Jesus, the explosive nature that we see in, in verse 4 of Acts 4, in Acts 4, 4, is the product of men who had been with Jesus and believed in Jesus with all their heart and would stop at nothing to tell others about him. That's the impact that Jesus had on those men. Well, how do we know that? Look at verse 13. The, 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 in verse 13, the teaching of Acts 4 goes on to say, when they saw the courage Of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had and say this with me, been with Jesus. What those men were accomplishing that day and what was being seen and what was being understood by those with him was these men are doing what they're doing because they've been with Jesus, not because they're extraordinary men. Not because they're extraordinarily schooled or they, they have all these disciplines. It's because they had been with Jesus and they had learned from him. And today, church, that's the impact that Jesus wants to have on you and I as well. You know, think about Peter. This was a man that never got it right. Every time he opened his mouth, foot went in. A lot of us can relate to that. And think of John. I mean, John, if you if you think about Scripture, John is like the ultimate control freak. I mean, he's freaking out with Jesus starting to bring fire from the angels to destroy everything. He's the, definitely the guy you wouldn't want with his finger on the button. He was temperamental. He wanted the highest seat at the table. You know... James, what would it be like if you were Jesus and had a brother that just didn't get it? He didn't understand. How frustrating would that be? These were ordinary men made extraordinary by their time with Jesus. God impacted them with a the relationship that encompassed Jesus. The church we see in Acts was caused by men and women who had spent time with God. So what does that mean to us? Well, some pretty practical points here that I'm going to make. I'm going to give you six of them. This is how I think Jesus impacted the church in the Gospels. Number one, Jesus saw these men's, the, the potential of these men. Okay, when, when Jesus looked at Peter... He saw everything, right? He saw the failure that he would that we would see prior to uh, the cross. You you know, the one where it says, uh, Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter says, oh, no, Lord, I'm not going to. Jesus saw all that. But he also saw Pentecost. He also saw this moment before the Sanhedrin where Peter would say, no, 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 no. The spirit's going to come across and I'm going to I'm going to help establish the church. Jesus saw their potential. And brothers and sisters, today, Jesus, as you sit in this place, He sees your potential. He sees the potential that is in each one of you. Don't measure yourself by your failure. Don't measure yourself by your strife and your struggle. Measure yourself by the same thing God does, and that's asking yourself, what is my potential? And what is my potential in Jesus? You know, how many of you have been impacted by someone who gave you a shot, who gave you a chance? And how many of you have experienced being torn down by someone who did? The feeling when someone trusts in you and they and they hand it to you and they say, they say, I believe in you. It just lights people up. And, you know, I go back to that subway train and I think about all those people that I saw, all that diversity in the subway. And I think to myself, Man. You know, because I'm I'm sitting here looking at some folks thinking, man, (laughs) you know, this is a messed up. This is a messed up train. But yet God sees their potential. And even in the woman who set Kathy corner, who was probably seven or eight months pregnant, God even sees the potential of that child in the womb.
1: That's awesome.
0: That's awesome. Number one, Jesus saw their potential. Number two. Jesus accepted them as they were, but he loved them enough to expect them to change. Okay, Jesus, they, they belonged, listen to this, they belonged before they behaved. That's, that's not the way we've always asked folks to church, is it? You know, we've been pretty good about asking folks to come to church and visit. But before they could belong, we wanted them to behave. You, know, you got to stop that before you can be a Christian. You, you can't you can't believe that and be a Christian. And yet, every person sitting in this room is broken in some way, shape, or form, and a work in progress as the Spirit teams with you. Jesus. Accepted these men where they were. He accepted someone who denied him in Peter. He even accepted someone that he knew would turn him over for, for pocket change to be crucified. But Jesus met these men where they were and he gave them a shot. So, number two is Jesus accepted them the way they were, but he didn't, he loved them so much that he wasn't going to let them stay there. And today, brothers and sisters and friends, wherever it is you sit right now in this place that you call life, what I will tell you is is that you have Jesus and the Holy Spirit inside you, if you're a Christian, that's challenging you to be better, to have a deeper relationship with Him, to allow Him to have a deeper impact in your life. Number three, Jesus challenged them. I want you to look at a a story with me from John, the eighth chapter, verses nine through eleven. Can we go ahead and bring that next slide up? At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. Let's see if you guys recognize this story. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You see, number, number three is that Jesus, He didn't make it an act to condemn people. He, he made it a point to meet them where they were and to challenge them to go from that, to accept them, not condemning them, but to make a place for them. You know, that's what I love about our church. Here at Heartland. This place here at Heartland is a safe place for people to land. It's, it's become a safe place for people to belong and to grow and to learn how to behave in Jesus. Because we're all learning. There's none of us who are perfect at this. And the safer this place is, the more explosive this congregation, this church will become in the kingdom. The more we understand God's purpose in those first three areas, the more we will be like the church in Acts because we won't be a product of restoration to just the church. We'll be a product of restoration to Jesus. God's goal wasn't to restore the church to the Acts church, and that's something that I've even taught and preached before. God's desire was to restore the church back to Jesus. Back to who Jesus was. Not the effect, the cause. Number five, or number four. And this is the most important one for me, and I I should probably thank Jesus for every day. He's patient. Jesus experienced a frustrating three years of ministry with his disciples. Can you imagine all the way up to the point he's going to the garden where he himself goes off and prays so diligently that he drops. Beads of blood and sweat. And he come back and his disciples came to stay awake. You don't think that would be frustrating. A matter of fact. If most of us in this room would have been Jesus. Probably right then and there, we would, have, we would have looked at God in heaven. We would have said, because we would have had the power to do it because we would have been Jesus, right? We look at God in heaven and say, G- God, hold on. Time out. i got to fire these guys. I need three more years. i got to start over. You gave me a bunch of knuckleheads. This is never going to work. And every indication of Scripture up to this point says that these men would have struggled to accomplish The greatest task of mankind, and that was to take the gospel into all the world. And yet, where are we today with millions worshiping God today in the name of Jesus? The other, the the fifth thing is this, and I'm not sure this is a word, but it is in Indiana. Jesus was a doer. He was a doer. Jesus lived out what he taught. You know, church, another another area that that if you gave personal testimony, I'd have to kind of stand before you and, and I'd have to say, you know, doing is a hard thing. Sometimes we have so many ideas and we have so many things we want to do that it's hard to get to them all. It's even hard sometimes to discipline yourself to do what you do well and to do it right. But not for Jesus. He was a doer all the way to the cross. He did what he said he would do. All the way through the resurrection, he did what he said he would do. All the way to planting the Holy Spirit in your heart when you're baptized, he did what he said he would do. And you know what? He said he would deliver you to God one day, and he will do what he said he would do. And that's why our hope is found in Jesus. Jesus was a doer. And the final one is this. Jesus empowered them. Jesus empowered them. I'd like you to watch this video as we close today. And this gives you a little bit of a better illustration about just how he did that.
1: Throughout history, people have sung about the mysterious love of God. If his love is so great, why don't we see it on earth? They sing of freedom, but all I see is hunger, sickness, and pain. This world is broken. Where's the proof that God loves us? A friend of mine told me a story about how God came to Earth as man to rescue us. The ruler of the universe chose the company of the sick. The needy and the hopeless. Instead of judging them, he healed them. His words of hope threatened the religious and the government authorities. To maintain control, they turned the whole world against him. His sentence, death on a cross, willingly accepted, on our behalf with his last breath he said it is finished but he wasn't talking about himself he was talking about our failures all of them paid in full but the most amazing part is this three days after his body was placed in the tomb Jesus who was once dead is now alive. Now His story can continue through us. Our circumstances may not change, but our hearts can. We can have peace. We can have purpose. Because we have a promise. Jesus is alive. And because of these things, we know that even when the world is against us, God is for us. And this changes everything.
0: <clears throat> so the last point is that Jesus empowered them. Well, you say, Tony, what does that mean? What does the word empowered mean? And what, what does that mean for me? He empowered them with the gospel. The story from child to death and resurrection. Do we not have that story? We do. He empowered them with a Holy Spirit that we see demonstrated in glory at Pentecost. And in stories like this that we see in the book of Acts, do we not have the Holy Spirit? The same Spirit within us, given to us by God. Oh church, He's empowered us In an unbelievable way. And sometimes we embrace it. And sometimes I think we fear it. But when we embrace it. And when we take the impact that it has had on us. And that it can have on us. And we put it to work. The church becomes explosive. The church becomes explosive. Because it's in that moment. That we're not working to restore a church. We're working to plant Jesus on the face of the earth in who He was. We're no longer shooting for the effect that was the church that we see in Acts. We're shooting for the cause which was Jesus of Nazareth. That's empowerment. That is true impact. And that is how the world will be impacted By Jesus, through you, through I, and those that follow. All those whom we teach the truth and who carry that truth into the future. What a responsibility, but what an impact that it will have on this world. This morning, if you have been impacted by Jesus, by the gospel, by the message of Christ. And you've put Christ on in baptism, but, but maybe maybe you've lost the feeling that comes with that. The drive that comes from being impacted. Reestablish that this morning. Take some time to pray about that. Take some time to search deep for where you're at. Your struggle, your strife, your doubt, your fear, your anger, your frustration. If you haven't put Christ on in baptism this morning, why wait any longer? He's already impacted you. You're like a person on that train. God's already at work. He's already at work. Let Him have real impact on you. Let's stand and sing together.